Assalamu alaikum, everybody. Today we are talking about how racism is addressed in the Muslim community. And coming up to the anniversary of George Floyd's killing, we wanted to discuss how this was addressed within the Muslim community. More specifically, how things have changed one year on. So Marina, what did you observe within the Muslim community after the killing of George Floyd? I think it was a really interesting time to try to observe what was happening within the Muslim community, because if we cast our minds back, the pandemic was still fairly new to all of us. We were probably trying to get our heads around isolating ourselves at home, not seeing each other in the mosque or in any community setting. And answering what I observed, really, it can only be answered through the lens of what I actually observed online as opposed to what I heard or what I saw in person. So in terms of the conversations that were happening online, I must caveat this, I am not the biggest consumer of social media. It's not where I spend most of my time. But from an overall perspective, from my snapshot view of what I observed online, it felt like the Muslim community were being vocal and were being supportive of the Black Lives Matter movement and asking you know, maybe some tricky questions about how we would need to reflect on maybe our own contribution to systemic issues. But that came mainly from what I could tell US Muslims as opposed to UK Muslims. I felt that UK Muslims on the whole were a lot more quiet on the matter. And that was surprising, if not disappointing. And yeah, I don't know if that was my own, you know, skewed or maybe my own perception based on, you know, the people that I'm following perhaps on social media. Like I said, I'm not the biggest consumer of it. And maybe there were active groups of Muslim communities in the UK. Maybe there were lots of UK imams talking about this subject. But off the top of my head, I only remember a couple from the UK. And, you know, they did a great job. They did a really, really great job. I don't want to take away from anything that the two UK imams that I did see speaking about this. I don't want to take away from that at all. I just wished more UK imams would have supported them, at least publicly, because I couldn't gauge that from the online presence that I was consuming. Do you think it is because that it wasn't happening in our own back garden? And that's why there wasn't that much being addressed or talked about within the Muslim community, that it was happening mainly in America. And that's where the, most of the issues arise from. Part of me wants to say yes, because even when you allow yourself to explore the subject of race in the UK and the US, you'll find that there's more literature, for instance, around Black Lives Matter with the US, that doesn't actually mean that it's less of a problem here. And if you read the books of UK authors on the subject of race, they will make it really clear that this is just as much of a concern for us in the UK as it is for Black communities in the US. But going back to your question, do I feel that the Muslim community was not as vocal about it because it felt like this was an issue happening in their own backyard? The other part of me tells me that can't be the answer because the Muslim community in the UK is very familiar with the need to speak up for issues that aren't happening in their own backyard, be it Palestine, be it Kashmir. Mm. And even if you go back to the US, how many Muslims talking about Donald Trump on a daily basis? There are many Muslims that talk about Donald Trump and his behavior towards Muslims and the Muslim ban. Yeah, so as I would say it would be easy to tell ourselves that that was the reason. But I think this needs unpicking a bit more. I think there are more layers to it. There is. It's a very complex 
issue because it's systemic racism and systemic racism is rooted in all the systems that we work in. So what have you observed one year on? Have you seen any changes? Have you seen any differences? Do you think there is more activity going on within the Muslim community around Black Lives Matters? It's a really difficult one to answer because, as I mentioned before, observations are limited to what you can see online. And I'm not the hugest consumer of social media. And that's the only way you can really tell if, you know, community leaders and community organizations, what they're actually working on at any given time. And I I don't know what's actually happened in the last year. I felt like there were some good conversations started, like I said, by a couple of UK imams asking some really pertinent questions. But I don't know, number one, how much support they had from other imams and organizations. And secondly, if we as a Muslim community were really prepared to internalize those difficult questions and to look within. I don't know if that real engagement actually happened. The efforts were very real by the imams who wanted to speak about it. Conversation is two-way, right? Mm. So you have to have the willingness to be introspective, to look, to look in the mirror, to do some hard soul searching and ask yourself, things that will make you uncomfortable, will force you to address shortcomings. And that's hard enough when you have those conversations face to face. How much more challenging is that going to be when those conversations are restricted to being online in a pandemic? Again, even just listening to myself, that sounds like a complete convenient answer. It sounds like a cop out. It sounds far too easy. But on the surface, I don't know what's happened. I know some great questions were asked. I just can't see that they materialised in anything. Concrete. Yeah. That is quite unfortunate because we do know that it is a problem and isn't a problem worldwide that systemic racism exists and especially around Black lives. And one of the things wanted to ask is as an individual what could we have done we were in a pandemic and and unfortunately sometimes when we are in such a situation where it's too difficult to do the I mean there were rallies in the UK and but what could we as individuals do in order to support black Muslims in the UK so I'm not really going to speak about the rallies because at the end of the day we are in a pandemic and attending a rally we are in a pandemic so everyone will feel very differently about going to expose themselves in a space where you will have closer contact with people than you otherwise would do so I'm going to put that aside I think this there's there's so much more to it than attending a, a rally as I mentioned earlier I think having taking an opportunity number one to understand what actually is the situation for black Muslims in the US and before writing off that it's not an issue in the UK really listening listening to black Muslims in the UK and let them tell you what their experience their lived experiences has been before we tell ourselves that hey everything's good we've got black friends and you know we don't have any animosity towards them so they surely can't be an issue I mean this was one this was one typical response I actually had when I brought it up on a I would let's call it a social forum I'm not going to be specific and say any more than that but I did you know I did in one forum raise the question as to why we as UK Muslims weren't being more active to trying to understand how we've potentially got things so wrong and we overlooked the needs of 
black Muslims, at least insofar as the Muslim community is concerned, how are we serving or not serving the needs of black brothers and sisters? So one of the typical responses that I had was, well, if we have black friends, then why are we really following the crowd? We are not sheep. We are Muslims. We have Islam. We have the guidance. We've got black Muslim friends. So the problem isn't on our side of the fence. It's over there somewhere. This is this is a typical response that I heard. And I think for me that that is probably, I can't, I don't know if that's a common sentiment or if, if, if this is something that's view that's commonly held or if it's less common. But I'd imagine if it was a widely held view that that could be a contributing factor as to why there was no real engagement in those discussions for UK Muslims because if you don't believe that there's a problem to address then the conversation can't really go anywhere from there it, be- mm. it just comes to a grinding halt. No that's true if people don't see there is an issue then you're right then it wouldn't go forward. The one of the other things that I've observed was is that even though I was I was out in the community somewhere and I overheard a conversation around why are we talking about Black Lives Matters? Don't all lives matter? And that is a, a, a sentiment where most people feel like, why are we just honing in on just Black people? There is all these other issues going on. So why are we not addressing those issues as well? And the other issue would be being a brown person. They say that we also face racism. So what is the difference between the Black Lives Matters movement and the racism that everybody else is facing? I would say that's a fair question to ask at least yourself to begin with, but don't leave that and think, well, what I'm trying to say is, if you have those questions, it's your responsibility to go out and learn what the answers are don't assume you already know the answers to that so if you think that issues faced by black muslims are comparable it comparable to other issues then that assumes that you already know what the issues are black muslims and i find that i find that difficult to comprehend because you can't assume to know somebody else's experience without you having to walk two miles in them without really asking that question to that person, how is your daily lived experience living in the systems that we do have? And one of my understandings was that, yes, as as brown Muslims, we do face racism, but our racism is in, in a way is not systemic. It's not rooted in the systems that we have that doesn't allow us to progress because we can, we have progressed brown people have got jobs in like being in the NHS as lots of Muslims in the NHS whereas you don't see that as many black doctors you don't see many black people within the healthcare system you don't see them in in higher paying jobs you don't see them in 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 different settings they are a very very low number so from my perspective that would be the kind of differences that we would see is that the systems work against black people compared to any other ethnicity. I'm going to take what you said and apply it specifically to the Muslim community because there's definitely wider discussions to have and I don't want to do them a disservice. So if I zoom in and take the principles of what you said and apply it specifically to the Muslim community, I'm going to try to take, for instance, I want to look at what are the systemic issues within the Muslim community. Do our systems, as it were, do they serve black Muslims or are they doing something else? So let's take your typical system. Let's take your typical system. How many non 
black Muslims in the UK, do you know, regardless of their marital status, would they, hand on heart, forget what their parents may or may not object to, because that's a whole other discussion, but would they as individuals, hand on heart, would they, would they feel, would they feel that a black Muslim was a suitable marriage partner for themselves? How many Muslims that are not black do you know that could speak to that? Personally, not many. So when you say, when you say not many, how many are we talking about? Can you, can you, is it 10 or? I would say one. One, one, right? Okay. One, one. Okay. So can we really say that we're not racist just because we've got black friends? They're good enough for a WhatsApp message. They're good enough maybe even to have a cup of coffee with, but they're not good enough to marry. Yeah, this is this is where, where we need to look at our biases, where we assume that we are not racist. But what are our biases? What do we, what is hidden within us? And like you were saying, we need to be doing some introspective work. And if we don't want to be considered racist, and we shouldn't be racist because of the fact that it's not acceptable in Islam, is doing the introspective work. What are we, when it comes to our black friends, what are we willing? Are we even real friends? Are we even real yeah. friends? If we're, we're happy to have a friendly chat with them, but, you know, marriage, no, 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 no. Don't, let's not enter that conversation. We don't want you in that realm. Let me, let me ask you another question. I asked you previously, how many non-black Muslims in the UK do you know that would feel a black marriage partner would be suitable for them, regardless of let's, let's not bring parents into the equation and you know hide behind or use that as a convenient excuse to not have the difficult discussion I want to give you the reverse to that I want to give you the reverse how many non-white UK Muslims do you know that would feel that a white Muslim is a suitable marriage partner for themselves many and I would say above 10 for me I would say it would be most of the Muslims that I know yeah I'd be hard-pressed to find someone that would say, no way. Remember, we're taking parents out of the equation because I know that that brings a different dynamic to this. But if, you know, parental objections weren't on the table, then how many hand on heart from their own individual perspective would feel that that's a suitable option? So marriage is an institution. Marriage is a system within our community. And this is just one example of a systemic issue that we've got within. Now, I I think this is a really important question for married people to ask themselves as well as single people. I don't feel it's, I don't think there's any benefit for this to be isolated either side I think everybody needs to be asking themselves this question and I did ask a question actually I did ask a question on social media recently there was a thread that my friend shared about I think it was, there was a documentary on race and it evoked some really important questions so one of the questions I put out there was you know how, how prepared are we really to look in the mirror as Muslims and be honest about the racism that lies within. So insofar as single Muslims are concerned, if you or I visit two completely separate matrimonial websites, Muslim matrimonial websites right now, how many people will state in their profile whether or not they are fair? Is this something that happens for one in every hundred marriage profiles? Or is it something that's actually a lot more common? And for me, I really think that is very indicative of where our mentality is at to state that, you know, being fair is somehow making you a more attractive or prospective partner if you're pitching yourself as fair, regardless of what your skin tone actually is, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Because some people might say, well, no, actually, it's just a matter of fact, I am fair, whatever fair means, because I I feel very... That's on a continuum, right? Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, the, the, the deeper question for me is why are you putting that in your marriage profile? Because, and I think the reality is we know that people are seeking fair partners. So I don't think it's true to say it's just stating a matter of fact. It, it's pitched as a selling point. So we see this every single day in marriage profiles from men and women. We can't say that it's only for either gender. And that to me is propelling the systemic issues. Now, if we look beyond you know, single Muslims get looking to get married because I really don't want to call out single Muslims. Let's let's look at married Muslims. How many married Muslims, how many would be prepared to have a, a soulful conversation, if not a difficult conversation with their own partner and ask them, would they have still considered them to be a prospective marriage partner if they themselves were a few shades deeper than whatever they're skin tone currently is i don't think many people have that courage to ask because why why do you think that is because deep down they probably know that mm -hmm. it probably wouldn't be something that they would have considered their partner wouldn't have considered that so their partners wouldn't have considered them in reality if they were of a deeper skin tone and my personal experience of asking my friends i'm very very selective right of who i asked this question to because i know it's a very sensitive one and actually if you wanted a way if you ever wanted a way of calling back on the number of friends you've got if you're sure on time and can't afford to maintain relationship with so many friends that would be a really quick and easy way right to ask your friends hey just wondering you know have you ever had this conversation with your partner or would you be prepared to have this conversation with your partner to say would you have considered each other if your skin tone was a few shades deeper it's a very sensitive question because people know deep down that a yes is probably not a real yes and a no is going to surface the ugly reality that none of us really wants to face which is that we ourselves have propelled systemic racism within the muslim community now moving away from marriage because i'm sure this will evoke a lot of emotions if not anger for daring to speak about this um let's talk about another institution let's talk about another system which is business business makes up a key part of our community if you're convinced that having black muslim friends is enough to quell any racism can we say that we would honestly feel comfortable going into business with black muslims or would we feel wary and suspicious i think the latter i think most people would feel suspicious and uncomfortable because i haven't seen that kind of partnership between muslims have you observed something like that no what i've observed is that within the muslim community we tend to work in silos hmm. and you'll see um south asian muslims doing business with other south asian muslims you'll see arab muslims going into business with other arab muslims and that's the extent to what i've observed it doesn't mean that's all there is out there there are no doubt going to be examples that are the exception and not the rule but that's my general observation we do definitely work in silos and we also live in silos there are areas that are predominantly arab bangladeshi pakistani and yeah so we we, we also live in silos we don't necessarily just do business in silos or, but we also live in these silos and we don't really interact with one another or have any kind of relationships with each other on a deeper level and I think relationships are really the 
key. So if I, if I return back to what I said earlier about being willing to learn and to listen and to understand somebody else's experience, that can't happen without a relationship. No doubt there is plenty we, act, we can do by, you know, actually reading books, reading articles written by people if we don't have direct access to Black Muslims. But there were some really interesting questions that I think these were real self-reflection points that were shared by one of the UK imams who was vocal online. And I'm just going to share them because I think these are, you know, if any listeners are still thinking, hmm, but marriage, oh, that's a different issue in business. Well, you know, that's different because people do family-run businesses and blah, 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 blah. I think if you're not convinced yet, I think these are some takeaway messages that really will allow us to think twice about our approach to racism within the Muslim community. Um, so some of the points are that were made, not every Black Muslim is a revert. What does that mean to you, Frisana? Why do you think a point was made around? I think that most people think that generally it's either because we're predominantly Asians. We assume that Muslims only come in South Asians or they are Arabs and not necessarily any other ethnicity out there. And if anybody is different from that, is known as a revert, not necessarily a born Muslim. So the next point, which speaks to what you've just said, is Islam reached Africa before it reached Asia. How does that sit with you? I'm surprised because I didn't know that it reached Africa before it reached Asia. Not that it was like, it's a difficult concept to understand. It was just because I never knew that this is what actually happened because I wasn't educated around it. I didn't learn that history. Do you think possibly that that is something that most of us overlook? Yes, we do. I think we all don't look at our history and deep down we know that there are Muslims, born Muslims from different ethnicities and backgrounds, but yet we just have this view that only South Asians and Arabs are only Muslims and nobody else. The next point that I've got written down is mosques don't have black Muslims on their committees. I'm not surprised that Muslims, when we live, like I said, we live in silos, our mosques are in silos. So there's a specific mosque for a specific ethnicity. So you'll have a Pakistani mosque, you'll have a Bangladeshi mosque, then you will have an Arab mosque. That's very rare that you would have a mosque that, that caters for every Muslim or within the Muslim community because we live in silos. And even if, I guess, we did have Muslims from different backgrounds attending one masjid and it's catering for all Muslims, even then you probably don't have Black Muslims on these committees. And then again, it just shows that you are not representing the demographic where the mosque is situated, because the whole point of a masjid is being open to community and serving the community in different ways. And if you are not inviting people from different backgrounds within that committee, then how are you serving every Muslim within that community? So, Frizana, Let's reflect on the year um, that's passed. It feels like what we've said is that we know there are some deep-rooted issues within the Muslim community, including the UK Muslim community, around race. We've seen and heard mainly US Muslims being vocal about this, although we've also said there was one or two imams in the UK who were doing a great job. We just wish that they would have had more support from other imams and more engagement from the Muslim masses, including yourself and myself. But what about us because I'm a big believer that change starts with you as an individual. What what kind of things have you done differently um, over the last year to to sow the seeds of change? I had discussions around this with my family, with friends. I think it's really important to have open conversations. And once you start a conversation, you are sowing the seeds to make some changes because conversation is where it needs to start. What kind of conversations did you have with your family? 
what were the costs around? They were around why Black Lives Matters and what the movement means. Because like I said, we have, we're having conversations about like there are other issues going on. Why are we not also talking about those things? Why is Black Lives Matters more important than other matters? And my answer was that I'm not, nobody is saying that one issue is bigger than the other because that make, makes it us against them. That doesn't, it doesn't make sense that we, we just ignore one issue and then talk about the other issues. I'm not saying one issue is bigger than the other issue, but what we're saying is that you need to be having discussions about everything. But at the moment, the Black Lives Matter movement is a discussion that is front news. So I think you could argue the toss on that, whether or not it's a bigger issue. And no doubt we will have listeners on both sides of the fence. Some will definitely align with what you said that it's, you know, it's not about finding the biggest issues about addressing the thing that's in front of us here and now. I agree with that sentiment. But I would also say there's definitely room to argue that actually the issue for Black Muslims is bigger because what we've demonstrated in our conversation for the last half an hour if not longer, is that there's very little we understand. So when there are issues happening abroad, say in Kashmir, we have a really good integration with the Kashmiri Muslims that are in the UK, that are British Kashmiri Muslims, because they're South Asian and they're in within the they're in the majority group for the Muslim community. We don't we don't say no, we're not going to marry them. No, we're not going to do business with you. We don't exclude them in the same way they are on the masjid committees. So I would say there's there's a very compelling argument. Argument, even if you don't agree with it, there's a very compelling argument that note the issues for Black Muslims, if you want to size them up and say which one's bigger, I would say definitely there's room to argue that it's a bigger issue. We don't understand, you know, number one, what the issues are that they're facing, never mind being in a position to support them and out of ignorance to fuel, to add fuel to the flames, we have knowingly or or unknowingly, consciously or subconsciously, we have contributed to the systemic racism within the Muslim Mm. community as a result. And that is the ugly truth that I want all of us to get comfortable being uncomfortable with, because Mm -hmm. until we can address the the holes within ourselves, we're never really going to be able to fix the bigger issues. Yeah, no, I agree. Again, you need to be doing the introspective work and you need to be learning about what are, what is the lived experience of Black people. Let me take another example of Frazana. One of the things I said is we don't even understand the Muslims here within our own locality on our doorstep the black muslim brothers and sisters what their issues are um another way of looking at you know if you want to get into that you know understanding of sizing things up and what's a bigger issue i want to take an example of school children school children who walk to school or get the bus to school and need to make their way home at the end of the day now we know that there have been horrors for children of all communities where a child has gone missing or a child has Mm. been attacked or worse a child has been killed but statistically speaking Frazana I speak to you given your background as a social worker statistically speaking who is more who is more at risk the white child the South Asian child or the black child the black child you had to pause to think about that tell me what was going on through your mind when I asked you that was it a pause because you were doubting yourself or pause because it was an uncomfortable truth I was thinking about it because I was just thinking around my background it is an uncomfortable conversation to have 
that, that a black child would be more at risk of harm than children from other ethnicities. The reason why I bring that example up is because we might think, hang on, we've got black friends and our children go to school together, but we don't know what the reality is and what things the black child has to worry about compared to the South Asian child, even though they might both be, both be Muslim and might both you know, look visibly different and act differently to other children in the sense that they will both feel like minorities. How much more of an intense situation is that for black children who are statistically, who are statistically at a higher risk of being the victims to attack? Mm, that is very uncomfortable. So going back to my original question, you mentioned that you started to have some uncomfortable conversations within your own family circles to help them to understand why this was something that they essentially needed to understand right so the fact that you had to have that conversation almost implies to me that it was the default was that this isn't something that needs to be on our radar yes that was definitely one of the reasons why I had that conversation was is we again as as a Muslim community we need to look at our own biases and like you said that we can say we have black friends so what is the issue so we're not racist and then we talked about going deeper would they marry somebody from the black community and the answer is no so that is where you need to be looking at your biases to see what is going on within yourself to say that you wouldn't be willing you're willing to be friends but are you a real friend that's another question if you're not willing to marry somebody from the black community are you seeing them how are you viewing them are you viewing them us and them or are you viewing them in a in a different way absolutely so i'll share some of the things that i've done within my own sphere of influence of course over the last year i have wanted to number one educate myself on the systemic issues that black communities face both in the US and the UK. And that's quite broad, of course. It doesn't it doesn't hone in on Muslims, although there are some case studies you can read. I think the general literature out there is about black communities at large. But that was a great starting point for me because it gave, gave me a framework of understanding to be able to really grasp the, the finer issues within the Muslim community. Secondly, I try to ask myself off the back of that, what are my own biases? I can say that, hey, I'm not, I don't have any sort of prejudice because I've got black friends. And then I, I wanted to put that to the test for myself because, yes, I do have black friends that I value dearly. But if I, if, I, if I did a spot check of, let's say, the WhatsApp groups that I am the most active on, because we were all invited to lots of WhatsApp groups, right? Mm. And we end up muting them. But the ones that you're really active on, what is the ethnic makeup of that group? And I realized that in the groups that I'm most active on, Black Muslims are few to none, in most cases none. So that was the one of the things that I went about rectifying. And out of my own ignorance, I didn't even know how to address that in any other way than to be really frank with the people that I approached to say, hey, I'd be really grateful if you could join this group because at the moment I'm conscious that we are reflecting our own biases back and reinforcing mm. a certain view amongst ourselves and I don't want you to feel like the token gesture black sister that I've asked to join this discussion but I would love for you to join or for you to nominate equally somebody else who um who could also help us in this and yeah that took it was it was uncomfortable for me to address right because I didn't really have a problem with bringing new people into my active WhatsApp group but I did feel I did feel ignorant I did feel ignorant saying hey mm -hmm. you know can you please join the group because I've realized there are no black people on it that wasn't going to solve you know systemic racism 
and it wasn't my way of alleviating a guilty conscience. But what it was for me was an admission that if I only surround myself with other South Asian Muslims, then it's going to become an echo chamber. We will reinforce mm. each other's biases. And whilst we might not be making the world, you know, a better place, we're reinforcing the status quo. That was how I saw it. So I did, I did approach friends. I felt I could be totally honest and transparent with them and say, hey, I know you're going to feel like a token gesture, black Muslim here, but you have got no obligation to say yes, because it's not your job to educate me. It's not mm. your job to educate my peers. And I'm not even yeah. asking you to join to educate any of us. I'm asking you to join to break the echo chamber. Mm. So that's one thing that I did. I looked at my own circles and I talk about WhatsApp because, of course, this has all happened during the pandemic. Mm. And most of our conversations are online now, remote conversations. They're not face to face. So that's what I did. I looked at my most frequented WhatsApp groups and tried to break the echo chamber. Secondly... I looked at who I was following online into, on social media and I realized that all of the imams I were following were South Asian and Arab. <laughs> so again, you know, I'm reinforcing an echo chamber within my own mind. So I wanted to break that because that's within my own sphere of influence. And alhamdulillah, Islam is rich. Mm. We are not short of black Muslims online who are imams who are sheikhs mm. and i wanted to proactively select a more diverse following for myself so that i wasn't i wasn't subconsciously only surrounding myself with south asian and arab muslims so that's one thing that i did online not for fulfilling a quota or a tick box agenda but really just to start to start to break the echo chamber to make mm. sure where i'm seeking deeper meaning from mm. now that's that's some good advice that you've given there and i I hope the listeners can take away something. And I do think it, a lot of it is is starts with education and doing the introspective work and really looking at your biases. And within my work, um, I have to always check my biases. Though you might not intentionally do something, as you were saying, that you weren't intentionally excluding, but you realise that when the Black Lives Matter movement came for a forefront, it made you think about your own life and how unconsciously you were going about your day-to-day -day life and how you unconsciously may be contributing to racism. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's all fair. I was taking stock there to reflect on the fact that you and I have come together to do this podcast. We're both South Asian. What systemic issues contributed to that being a likelihood? That is a, a very difficult question that we can't really answer right now. We need to take it away and think about it. If there's one action that listeners could take from today to do something different, what would that be, Rosanna, for you? I always believe that it starts with education I think that you need to understand maybe you won't know the lived experience of black Muslims but what I'm saying is that you need to be doing your reading around what are the systemic issues what are the issues that they are facing on a day-to-day -day basis and then doing the introspective work so it's really looking at the education and looking within and making sure that we are taking action to trying to rectify any harm intentionally or intentionally that we are doing. Thank you, Prasanna. I think for me, if there's one thing that our listeners could take away, and I'm being cognizant of the fact that by the very nature of this topic, I know that there'll be people who disagree with everything we've just said, to be honest. But if there's one thing that 
everyone, I would hope that everyone could take away, regardless of what you agree with and what you disagree with, is please, please, for the love of God, please stop using the term fair to promote yourself or to promote your friends, or to promote your family in the world of marriage, or to promote your children. Because this is something in my own reading, I realized that Malcolm X knew from a young age that because he had a lighter skin tone, he knew his family treated him differently. Now, he was talking about that 50 years ago, and we're still not prepared to address the internalized hatred that we've taken on board as, the, as you know, remnants of colonialism within our mm. own selves. Even if you think that you have not contributed towards any systemic racism that would place Black Muslims at a disadvantage and you're not prepared to think beyond your own immediate self and your own immediate family then please for the love of God please stop using the term fair to describe yourself or to describe anybody else and and if you're uncomfortable with that request then ask yourself why you're uncomfortable with it and prepare to poke around and get to the uncomfortable truth because that is that for me is the really important thing that we're not allowing ourselves to take steps at least ask ourselves why we're not allowed to take those steps that's that's some good points there because i think that we unnecessarily do contribute to this messaging around that light is better and if we think about it where has that come from Rosanna it's an internalized hatred and that's come from colonialism so we Mm. are now perpetuating the ill treatment that the majority communities put us on the receiving end of and we're treating other people in exactly the same way yeah final thought well I think that final thought is that we need to really become consciously aware of how we are contributing to harming others Thank you, Prasanna. I think my final thought would be if there's any part of this conversation that has made you uncomfortable, I see that as a positive sign. I see that as a, as a, as a sign of growth. This conversation was not intended to provoke and being conscious or asking yourself how maybe we have contributed to the to systemic issues is not a witch hunt. Nobody is trying to make anybody out to be the bad guy. We're just trying to collectively get to a better place. Yes. Thank you, Prasanna, for today's discussion. I think it was a difficult one, but definitely um, probably the most worthwhile one we've had yet so far. It was definitely a much needed conversation to be had. Okay. Thank you so much, Marina. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullah.